You are listening to the Mary Jane Society podcast, brought to you by Studio 420, a cannabis-friendly marketing agency. Thanks for joining. My name is Pam Schmiel, and today our guest is Michael Rivera. He's the owner of Better Days Delivery Service based in Denver, Colorado. Michael is a legacy entrepreneur who was arrested and jailed at the age of 19 for possession of marijuana. But now he is using his past knowledge to start a legal delivery service and geeking out on the industry, as he likes to say. Let's meet Michael. So, yeah, really, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast and taking the time. I'm sure you're pretty busy. So if you could just tell me how you got started. I assume you were selling underground before you went legal. Yeah, yeah. So um, actually, it's been a long, long, long path. I was 19 years old, you know, uh, just trying to survive. Had some marijuana on me. Uh, me, I was just riding with my friends, actually. It was sat. Friday, Saturday night, I can't remember. I think it was a Saturday. And we all of a sudden noticed the red and blue lights flashing behind our car. We pull over, the cops hop out of the car before you even know what's going on. They've got their lights out. They've got their guns out. They're demanding that we get out the car. We get out the car. They search us, don't find anything. And then they're demanding to search the car. And I knew that I had weed in the car, but you know, it was locked up. I thought it was safe. I told them that I wouldn't allow them to search. They ended up calling in and got permission from someone. I Well, actually, before, first, they had me and my friends outside the car, and they were just harassing us. I told them I wouldn't let them search. My friends are like, just let them search the car. Let it just go. And they were, like, trying to play us against each other. Then because it was my car, they told my friends that they just had to leave and they had to walk home and left me by myself. And so then after still just sitting there out in the cold, they got a call from somebody at the station that said they would allow them to search my car. They searched my car, found a couple bags in my, actually two bags, not even a half ounce of marijuana, but because it was separate bags, it gave them enough to charge me with the felony distribution. I ended up pleading for felony possession. And then I actually, my life went down a different route. While I was on probation, my probation officer told me that I had to get a job. So I, well, she was like, either get a job or go to school. And so for me, I've always been an intellectual. I took that opportunity to go to community college. And that's where I started to geek out just on education. And eventually I became a fifth grade teacher. And that's what I've been doing for the last seven years is teaching elementary school kids. Wow, and, <clears throat> that's yep. amazing. Yeah, I love the education. I still love education. I love my kids, but the politics of education was not my funnest thing in the world. So social equity gave me, gave me an opportunity to join the marijuana industry. So I've taken it. I established my business about a year ago, and we just launched at the beginning of December for cannabis delivery in Denver and Aurora, Colorado. Oh, so just just oh one year ago. Wow, that's amazing. So well, first, I just want to say that must have been so scary as a 19 year old to be bullied and, you know, pushed against the wall. Uh, It's, it's, you know, terrible. I mean, it's, it's horrible. So um, forget it. Yeah, yeah. 
So did you end up serving time at all or you just went on probation? They, they just. No, I, I did do some jail time. And then I ended up, um, when I went to court, I ended up pleading down and I got a plea for possession. I took the plea for possession rather than distribution. And with that, I was able to get work release. So I was able to get a job while I worked at the jail. And then I had some probation, a couple of years for probation after I got out of work release. And now I'm here. And um, so then when you got out, were you selling it all or you just stopped right after that scared you so much that you just stopped? There were, I, I did dabble a little bit here and there. It's, it was a way that I knew, it was a business that I knew to run. Even before I knew it was a legit business, I knew how to get weed and I knew how to find customers. And did was this in Denver or is this Colorado where? Springs? Well, both actually. Colorado Springs is where I was born and raised, just two hours outside of Denver. And then in college, I ended up moving up here to Metro State University of Denver, trying to get a new start from that past me. But still, whenever I needed to, I knew that I could follow back on my grinding. Right, right. So, well, well, that's Allegedly. what I find. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what I find so interesting is, you know, it, it, I mean, marketing any product or business or whatever is tough, but in the cannabis industry, of course, it's really tough because we're so limited and, you know, state by state and it's, you know, very challenging, but, you know, everybody's always said that word of mouth is like one of the most powerful marketing tools. And um, I assume that's what you really had to go on is, is, is word of mouth. And how did you build that customer base um, during the days you were selling underground? Yeah. So, and that's, it's similar. And actually um, it's interesting that you bring that up is because that's what I'm currently reminding the community and customers of, of, Delivery is how we've always gotten our cannabis. So when I was young, when I was originally doing this before it was legal, it was all word of mouth. People wanted to know where they could get it, who could be reliable, who could be safe, someone that they trust. And I was that person. I and also found good quality weed. So once people know that they can find that good quality, they know that they can find a personable, good customer service that I was the person for them, someone that they could trust because it was illegal at the time. So, you know, there had to be a level of relationship there. Did, did, were, so were you doing delivery or you just had a, a meeting place for people that you would meet to sell? Delivery. People oh, would call me and I would take it to their house. There would be certain times that we would meet a place, meet up somewhere, but most often, they would call me and I'd take it directly to their house. Same way I do it now, actually. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, yeah. I, I, and, and so how did you, if you can remember way back when, when you really didn't have any customers, how did you start building that? Like, how did you get the word out? Did you tell like just a few people who were already buying from you? Hey, let your friends know. And then of course you have to be really careful because what if there's a trap and how did you make sure that, you know, you weren't going to be set up or, you know, somebody. Yeah, it was, it really came down to trust. And I was actually really young. I was in high school when I started. 
And um, <clears throat> so it first started with those in my community, those people in my school that I knew that I could trust, though that I knew were marijuana users. And oftentimes I was just solving the problem for them of getting that weed a little bit easier, oftentimes cheaper. I, I did have a good plug that my prices were better than some. It's interesting because then I didn't think of myself as a business person. But now that I've got the language, I can describe what I was doing then in a business way because then I had competitors. And the reason why I was beating with my competitors is because I had better prices and because of the service that I was offering. Mm. I, um, I had a really somebody that was selling it to me for cheap so I was able to sell it to my customers for cheap and that went a long way but yeah it was just word of mouth whether in the school at parties mm -hmm. at the bowling alley just hanging out at where kids are at the skate city at the football games basketball games just finding out where people needed it and telling them that I got it and so how are you, so how are you, uh, how are you using this now that you're saying you, you've been kind of reflecting and thinking about how you did it back then? Yeah, so now it's, it's interesting. I'm using it, I'm doing it much in the similar way, whereas delivery just became legal in Colorado this year, and it oh. just became legal in Denver in July. So the market is not used to delivery. Everyone is still used to going into stores to get their product. So for me, I'm just going back to the ways that I've always done it. I'm just in community sharing about letting people know that delivery is available, talking about marijuana, why it's useful. And I also say it's different because now there are people that are participating in the plant that in the past wouldn't participate because of it being illegal. So those that are participating, I just remind them that we've always got it like this. I'm usually in the place that they are. So if we're at smoking lounges, if we're at the club, if we're out at community meetings, it's nothing for them for me to tell them about my business and tell them how easy it is for them to get the plant. But I've also been looking into elders, those that in the past haven't been using weed. And I'm able to talk to them about the plant and why it is useful to them, how it could be beneficial to their health and why it's not illegal. And even with that, I am still able to offer that discreet service where we don't have to put their business on blast. I call them when I pull up, we meet at the door and I, we handle the business. So it's really just tapping into the way we've always done it. Sorry, I cut you off. No, no. Um, did you did you bring over your former customers or no, ma'am? I've actually I've stopped selling weed for a couple years now. Um, because actually because I was a teacher and just focusing wholeheartedly on myself as a teacher, people look at you as a teacher like you're supposed to be a pastor. So <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want and being a fifth grade teacher, especially, that would have hurt my feelings to know that any of my kids would have learned about that side of my life and maybe did things that I wouldn't have wanted them to do. So as a teacher, I took a hard stand against selling weed. It just, I didn't need to really. I've always sold as a necessity, as a way to survive, as a way to pay for college, et cetera. And so 
with a career as an educator, I didn't need to do it. And I haven't been selling weed for a couple of years. And um, so since I have gone legal, customers that I have had in the past, they've reached out to me to actually congratulate me more than anything to say that they've watched my growth over the years. Actually, I was just talking to a friend recently. He was telling me that I helped him with his first ever, like I was his first, the first person he ever bought weed from. Oh. And so for me to be legal now, he was just proud of me and asking me how he would order from me now. And he lives in Colorado Springs, which is where I was born and raised, and I'm now in Denver. So he won't be ordering from me in the near future, but he knows about me. And if he comes up to the Capitol, I've got what he needs. Oh my gosh, that's so cool. Did you get your weed before uh, from growers in Colorado or did you bring it in from California? And are you, because now you can only use growers in. Yeah, back in, back in the day, I would take it where I could get it. And I could tell you most often not than not when I was dealing, I wasn't getting it from Colorado very often. Uh, my stuff was coming across lines, across states, across country sometimes. Oh yeah, border. Yeah. Oh, right, yeah, right, so, right. Back then it was yep. Mexico and things like that. Yeah. yeah. So how did you then stumble on to getting back into it and doing the delivery service? I mean, cause you really got away from it. You had a bad experience and now you're doing great as a teacher and how, what made you do the turnaround and come back? Well, I've, I've still been a connoisseur of the plant. I've still been using it just for my own wellness and helping me to deal with stress and pain and all the other things that I deal with in life. So I've still been a user of the plant and still I've been active in community. I've been working with groups like Students for Sensible Drug Policy to train, change the drug policy de-schedule it, de-classify it, decriminalize it, et cetera. I've been doing lots of work to even help free people. It's amazing to me that it's 2021, 2022 now, and we've still got people in cages for marijuana while I'm able to deliver it. It's To me, that's not right. So I, I've been working in community to try my best to use my energy and now my platform to help those that aren't as fortunate as me and so I've been working in drug policy and things. And once I seen the conversation starting to happen about social equity and the potential of it, I jumped right on and I just- you Saw the opportunity. Yep, I saw the opportunity, started saving my money. And once the licenses opened up, I was one of the first people to apply. I'm now one of the first to be approved for my delivery and transport license. And I'm one of the first I'm one of the few and only delivery transport owners in Denver and Aurora. Oh, wow. And um, is this, this is the setup uh, for delivery? Are you able, do you have a warehouse? Are you more like distribution or you have to partner with a dispensary? We have to partner with dispensary. Um, the way that the regulations are right now, the dispensary owns the product. We're just a third party delivery service, which in my opinion, that is in the easiest way to run a business because it makes for really low margins. And I'm hoping that that will change in the future. But as of right now, I'm grateful for the opportunity and I'm just making the best delivery service that I can do. And are, are, are dispensaries allowed to do their own delivery? Well, I guess they probably, yes no, you said they're not no. used to 
Um, okay. In Aurora, they can deliver for themselves. In Denver, they have to partner with the social equity licensee, which would be me. And in Aurora, they have to partner with the social equity licensee to deliver outside of Aurora. So it's it's a couple different, it depends where you are, but yeah. And as of right now, we have a two-year exclusivity left for delivery. And for transportation, the exclusivity is until 2027. Exclusive for what? For, like, so, for social equity licensees. So oh, in Denver, oh, they can only partner with social equity businesses for the next two years. And there will only be transport license giving out to social equity transport businesses until 2027. Honestly, you know, some people have, have complained or criticized that as uh, that those are the only businesses social equity can really afford to get into because it's ridiculously expensive to try to do a dispensary. But, you know, I think that it's actually better because, like you said, the overhead is really low. Um, if, if you could sell your own product like out of the warehouse, you'd have better, better profit margins. But, you know, because you'd be buying wholesale, but um, consumers who are used to delivery amazon and you know getting delivery i think eventually it's going to be that way and then you have such a big customer base exactly. like you said like maybe the elderly people or professionals say lawyers who don't want to be seen going into dispensaries or you know things like that those are up there's a big market for delivery so i honestly if if, if i had a ch choice to I do agree. it i think that would be a better way to go but i would want to have the warehouse version of it um so looking back um, on yeah. when you were starting to work with, I guess, the uh, Denver local government, or is there anything that you think that they should do differently in the program that could help people coming, social equity entrepreneurs coming up behind you? And did you feel like you got a lot of support as far as, you know, how do I run a business, business plans and raising money and all that? Yeah, um, this last year, well, I'd say it's two parts. I have had a lot of support. I am grateful and lucky enough to have a good community that believes in me and supports me. So I've been able to ask lots of people in my community just about like business because business isn't my wheelhouse. I'm a teacher. So all of this stuff has been learning a new language, a whole nother way of being as a businessman. And luckily my community has been patient in answering all of my annoying questions. But it's taken a lot of work on my part of reading, studying, writing in what I think numbers are going to be, and then readjusting them, and then readjusting them again. And it has been a lot of work on my side. And also, it's not, I haven't done it on my own. I've got community now from the city and the state. Um, also, like the state regulation re regulators, the city regulators, they're always open and willing to answer my questions, but a lot of it has been me pushing myself to do it. The city is coming out with some grant money in the future, and that will be a big help because the need for financial capital is a big hurdle for me. And then they'll be doing some, um, what do they call it, technical assistance to teach people as well. So I, like I said, I'm geeking out on the industry. I'll be learning as much as I can. And I'm excited for that. But um, outside of 
outside of that, there, I, I always think there's more that can be done, right? Like, so the state could be freeing people that have nonviolent marijuana crimes. I think that's an easy thing for the state to do. I would like to see social equity fees totally waived. We know that social equity licensees are coming from low income and low income environments. So that would be a big help for us waiving these fees. Like I said, that warehouse model would be a great help allowing us to own our own product. Um, there, are, uh, there are many things not putting restrictions on licensure. I think the more that are able to do it, the better. I'm all about freedom. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> um, so what do you think about, I think another problem in the whole so social equity structure of helping people is it's great to have these funds and grants and low interest loans and all that kind of thing. But if you don't know how to run a business, you can so easily blow through that money and you're, you know, you, you can make mistakes that you don't even know that you're making yeah. and, and making decisions, you know, the wrong business decisions. And then you're back to zero. And that didn't really help that somebody threw a bunch of money at yeah. you. So that's been my whole you know, thing about it is great, give the money, but you've got to teach people how to run a business. Like there's so many new entrepreneurs coming in. I know I've been an entrepreneur. I've had a couple businesses myself. And I remember back when, when I first started doing it. And that when I look at myself now and it's like, wow, what I didn't know back then was a lot, yep. you know? Uh, and I made a lot of mistakes on different businesses that I started that I should not have made. So that's where I think they need more support for social equity. Oh, I totally agree. Um, like I said, business is not my thing. Like I'm college educated, but as I got ready to start doing my business, this was a whole nother world. And so it yeah. took me a lot of studying and understanding to really figure out what I needed to do. Like the licensor, I mean, just applying for the license alone could be a class. It is daunting and anxiety provoking when you look at all these sheets and it feels like you're applying for a house and so much that you have to bring up. So there, there is just so much in terms of prioritizing your needs and wants in your business, understanding the regulations and legalities, understanding payroll. There, there's so much that as an entrepreneur, you could easily fall into a trap. And that's why I'm, I'm just trying to be patient I'll be signing up for these classes. I've been signing up, like I've taken classes with Cannabisiac. I've taken classes with the Founders Institute. I've taken classes with the Color of Cannabis. I've taken classes with the Green Flower Program. I've taken lots of classes. I'm still in, like anything I can learn, I, I'm on it because yeah, you have, if you're not smart, it's, it's like chess. You can make the wrong move. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And and if you don't and and if you don't, you know, pay your taxes and your payroll taxes and you know, so many different things that you yeah. could really get in a lot of trouble for and it'll just ruin everything. So do you do you, do you um I guess you must have a truck or a car or something that you use to deliver. Yeah. Do you have anyone working for you or Yes. Yes and yeah, I say yes. Um so far it's just been me because I don't have the deliveries to cover 
what I need to. Yeah. But I have background checked and interviewed some amazing delivery drivers that I'm excited to announce here in the near future. But I've just got to have the sustainable work to keep them busy. Are you on any apps at all? Like, does Weed Maps have delivery drop? You know, looking for delivery in our area? Um, I do plan. So, Weed Maps has selected me as one of their social equity clients, and they're going to help me with some marketing here in the near future. Weed Maps does have a delivery app, and we're working on how how we would work together. I don't know if they would want me to use their app, but they have selected me, and I'm excited to work on my partnership with Weed Maps. There, I, I lost the track of the question. Were you? Asking oh, um, I was just ca- curious. Um, yeah, what other apps are you using, or you oh, know, way yeah. to market yourself? Because you know, there's other things like very important. Uh, Google My Business. Yes. Yep. So yes, I have my Google My Business page. I have. I'm on most every platform that I can get on, but knowing that others are tr- tricky, some are more tricky than others. So. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Reddit. I'm getting ready to be on something, another, another platform soon. Just I'm on Clubhouse. Any platform that I can share about my business and what we offer, I am on. I've just been very careful to make sure that I'm not breaking any rules to cause myself any problems and where are you finding most people are finding you through what it's been yes uh, betterdaysdelivery.com is my website folks can find me through there they can find me either through better days delivery or abc delivery no space i many of my customers actually have been coming word of mouth just like back in the days it's customers sharing or a trustworthy delivery service he's nice he's compassionate he's discreet and that's how I've been growing. There's some other uh, big MSOs that you could tap into, you know, that are looking to help um, social equity entrepreneurs. And that's what I'm hoping. I'm but, hoping that some of these bigger businesses will really take a risk and sacrifice and share some love with the social equity businesses that could use it. And that's been one of my saving graces is just networking with anyone that I can. Like I'm talking to MSOs, I'm talking to the small mom and pop shops here in Colorado, the bigger folks here in Colorado, but yeah, even throughout the nation. There are many delivery businesses throughout the nation, many social equity businesses throughout the nation, many cannabis businesses throughout the nation that I'm grateful that, they, that they've been helpful in talking to me. Wow, that's great. And um, are you able to sell, are you able to partner with... Um with growers and uh, sell their flour or not, I don't know if that's a lot. Not in Colorado. In Colorado, we have the pizza model where basically the dispensary owns the product, they package it for us and we just deliver. But like I was talking about earlier, in the near future, I'm hoping some things could change to just give us a little mm. more opportunity. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, let's see. Are there any um, big pitfalls or challenges that you've had that you've really like was just like a big challenge along the way yeah i mean i'm sure it all is but is there anything my biggest challenges are access to financial capital and social capital just the Mm -hmm. money needed to have a sustainable business it hasn't been there 
it's, I mean, it still isn't kind of there for me, but I'm just still working and hopeful that I'm putting in the right pieces for me. But yeah, money is a major issue, major motivation, and also social capital in the cannabis industry. It pays to know people. And so having those relationships that can get me into doors that I usually wouldn't be able to get into. Is there any, I'm thinking if anyone's listening to this podcast that could help you are besides financing, which would be great if somebody could step up and help you fund this. Is there anything else that you really need help with that you, like you're saying other people in the industry could help you? Yeah. I mean, I'm currently looking for, I don't know if it's too late for me to look for co-founders, but if so, I'm looking for business partners, um, investors, community, Ooh, really just anyone, my business is still in its infancy stage. And so I'm still working on my customer development. So if you've ever had weed delivered to you, whether illegal or legal, your in opinion is useful to me. So I'm just talking to folks and learning how to make my business better. I really wish you a lot of luck. I, I really do. I, I hope you do really, really well. And I don't see how you can go wrong, really. Just gotta climb the mountain and take it day by day. Exactly. All right, thank you for your time and I appreciate you sharing your platform with me. Yeah, thank you. Okay, cool, talk to you later. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Season one of Dope History is now available at dopehistory.com. Dope History weaves you through the lives of those who have been touched by cannabis or have had an influence on the events that shaped our laws or relationships with this plant. You'll hear tales from Frenchie Cannoli, Keith Strop, Eddie Lepp, Tom Alexander, Ed Rosenthal, Wolf Seagull, Jorge Cervantes, and Tommy Chong. Available now at dopehistory.com.